Welcome back to True Crime Trine, a podcast where the planets align. Three friends talk about true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit that they can fit into this podcast. We are your hosts, Hannah, Sarah, and Meredith. And this is episode 45. Yay! And I did that very professionally. Mm hmm. Good job. You're so cut out for this. Never again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do love talking at people, so, you know. little bit of housekeeping. I have a little tiny thing, too. Okay. Why don't you start? Okay, mine's super cute. So one of our listeners adopted two cats recently. Oh, yay. But one of them was very, like, sick when she adopted it. So she had to nurse it back to health and was feeding it with a syringe and whatnot. And in the background of nursing a cat back to health, True Crime Trine was playing. Yay. Yes. We helped save a cat, guys. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. That one makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Oh, murder mittens. It does. I know. Oh, I should tell her to send the murder mittens. Yes. Yeah, we need to see. And her snack. Oh, she's got a snack? Yeah. Snack. Snack. (laughs) (laughs) So, our podcast is helpful. Yeah. That cat's like, yes, this is the energy I need. (laughs) True crime trine. Mm -hmm. Get on your feet. We have surpassed 3,000 listens. <gasps> okay. Wow. So yay us. Uh, keep them coming. Now I feel like people are actually listening to That's us. That's a lot. Yeah. Thank you, listeners. Unless it's we like really five people that have it. us on repeat all the time. <laughs> you know what? It's we travel fine. a lot, too. <laughs> it makes me feel great. I think we were at 38 different countries. No, no, it was 20-something countries in the 38 states. So, I mean, I feel like we've got... That's, That's not amazing. bad. Yeah. We've got some good progress. So I'm a part of a couple different social media, like true crime podcast groups. And you see these people commenting all the time and they're like, no banter, no this, no that. I want professional. I want detectives. I want interviews. Well, I those want exist. This, I want this. Watch, I want this. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. One of my favorite podcasts is Dateline. I love it. It's great. But. I listen to Dateline while I cook. Me too. <laughs> And it's an amazing podcast, and it. But they also have millions of dollars funding them. Yeah, we don't. So. We don't have that. You get the like raw takes that are sometimes very wrong here. <laughs> but also, we are three friends that talk about true crime yeah. and astrology, and we we enjoy having beverages and you know basically like we're sitting down and chatting. This really is my cocktail hour. Yeah. So. You know, I hope that listeners can appreciate that in itself because I do every week. This is I look forward to this every week. And it's always fun. And I always learn something. Yeah. So we crazy shit. We're too. a bantery <laughs> podcast that brings you some facts. And we're fun. We, do, so, we try to yeah. do both. Because mm-hmm. one of my favorite podcasts in this genre is and that's why we drink and they're a pretty bantery mm-hmm. podcast as well. They're great, though. They're so I good. Mean, that's a great podcast. They're also a lot better at social media than we are. Fuck. I think they quit their jobs 
They were able to quit their jobs. I started mm-hmm. listening from the beginning. Uh, they start. They were able to quit their jobs eventually and focus full time on the podcast, which is bonkers. But maybe we have something to look forward to in the future. I'll get back on that stupid ass Twitter, <laughs> and we'll be fine. <laughs> I hate it. And then also, this episode is going to air on February 21st, so we will acknowledge a happy birthday to Sarah. Ah, thank you. And a happy birthday to my brother. So, Sarah's, you're the 20th, and my brother is the 22nd. So, we're airing right in between there. And then that is what I have for housekeeping. Pisces strong. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) That does remind me that I forgot... To wish my mom a happy birthday. Oh, no. Bro. I remember the next day. Whoops. She was an Aquarius, though, so it's it, it's past. And I don't think she listens. Because if she does, sorry, mom, about everything <laughs> I say. <laughs> Censor all of this. I don't know why you're here. You made this, mom. This is your fault. <laughs> we did change Karen's to Janine's or Deborah's. Deborah's. So. Deborah's, yeah. Anyways, hi, Hannah's mom, if you do listen. You're not a Karen. No. So I'm going to offer this up at the very beginning because I'm pretty sure we've talked about this. I don't think we have. I don't remember it at all. So this is going to be our first ever TCT Beer Money Challenge. Oh. Okay. Hey. And... I texted both Hannah and Sarah to see if we had talked about this person before and none of us can remember it, but I just have such a a huge recollection or deja vu or something about this dude. And I'm pretty sure it's in the episode where we reference Jamie Kennedy and Criminal Minds. And penises. But I... And penises. No, I think that was a separate. That penis might have been episode. plans are optional. I've, I brought up Jamie Kennedy's. Pe- <laughs> I brought up Jamie Kennedy's penis more often than it needs to be brought it up. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. So I don't remember which episode we referenced the Jamie Kennedy Criminal Minds episode. I don't either. Hmm. Did try to go back through the notes. I did go back through my handwritten notes. I can't find it, but I just can't shake this feeling that we've talked about this person. So. Listeners, the first person to respond to truecrimetrying at gmail.com with the episode number, the title, and your Venmo will receive beer money. Yay! You could drink with us. Right? And if we didn't, we didn't. Oh, well. (laughs) Then we're in the clear. (laughs) And if you're wondering if I'm good for the beer money, the answer is yes. You can ask Hannah. (laughs) <laughs> yes, she is good for the beer money. Hannah won trivia and she did get her beer money. So, and I'm really a pretty generous person. So, if you answer truecrimetrying at gmail.com on a Wednesday night, let's say around 8 30 Pacific Standard Time, <laughs> you're likely to get more beer money than you would. Any Your other email night might of the come week. in at the same time that we're recording, and then we can all react to it, and then you can hear us react to on the yes. next episode that comes out. Yeah, you're more than likely to get more <laughs> beer money. So anyway, I've put it out there: TCT Beer Money Challenge. This is very on brand for us. Yeah, we can't remember something, and it's for beer. <laughs> <laughs> help us remember, and then we'll help right. you forget. Ooh. <laughs> With that, let's get started. 
the reason I selected this particular person is number one, it checks the box for our missing state, which is Maryland. It <laughs> checks the box. Thank you. Thanks, Otter. <laughs> that was perfect timing, Otter. Laws Maryland. It checks the box for Pisces because we are getting into Pisces season. And it also checks the box for cannibals. Yay! Yay! Uh. Oh, man. (laughs) Timely burp. So we are headed to Maryland. It is one of our missing, or it is one of the states we are missing a listener in. So if I'd gone to Johns Hopkins, we would have had Baltimore listeners. But we wouldn't have this (laughs) podcast, probably. And I didn't want to go to Johns Hopkins, to be honest. So we're fine. Everything's working out, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. But I do have some fun facts about Maryland for you. So number one, Maryland was admitted to the Union on April 28th of 1788. It was the seventh state. Baltimore received the first long-distance telegraph in 1844, which was from Washington, D.C. to Baltimore. Woo! Do you know what it said? No. Said news. I bet there are a bunch of stops. (laughs) 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 The United States Naval Academy was founded on October 10th of 1845 at Annapolis. And Annapolis is also known as the sailing capital of the world. So catches, sketchy catches, sketchy catches. Yes, the U.S. national anthem was written in Maryland. It's pretty cool. And then for Sarah, the state flower is the black-eyed Susan. Oh, I like those. Okay, mm-hmm. they're very pretty. And an Oriole for the bird. <laughs> All right, I need like some sort of murder weapon with it. I uh, will get to that. All right. Kind of. Cool. I'll get started on what I can get started on. This is a Canada thing. (laughs) So this is the story of Joseph Roy Metheny. I just want to know, is there meth involved? Well, so let's just say I think he favored cocaine. All right. That's fair enough. Sure. But I am going to go Joe in this particular case. I generally like to use their last names, especially when they're this horrendous. But I'm going to go Joe because I didn't want anyone to mishear because I don't enunciate as well after I've been drinking. So I didn't want anyone to say, did she say Bethany? Oh, yeah. Bethany? What? And then I was trying to avoid meth jokes. Methy, methany. Well, I even decided to dive right in. And oh, this yeah. will be our second show episode I should tell Joe to listen to. Mm-hmm. Joseph. Joseph. You got bathed today. Bathed. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. <laughs> it's very important. So we are going to talk about Joe from a physical standpoint first. So Joe, or the cannibal, or tiny, as he was known. I'm betting he's a big guy. Was six foot one, weighing in at approximately 405 pounds. Not so tiny. Big, big guy. Joe was not a little dude. He was a big, big boy. Yeah. Large. And then as kind of a side note, a lot of the information that you're going to hear comes from Joe's confessions. 
And it does seem like Joe had quite a bit to say, even if some of it wasn't entirely true. Well, whatever. Take it as it is. So early life, Joseph Roy Metheny was born on March 2nd of 1955 in Baltimore, Maryland. So he is a Pisces. From all accounts, he grew up in a pretty poor family. According to Joe, his father, who is unnamed, don't know why, can't find his fucking name anywhere. Unnamed father. Okay, but like Joe knew who he was. I think so. Okay. For at least a few years. <laughs> okay. So according to Joe, his father was an abusive alcoholic and he also claimed that he was badly neglected by both his father and his mother. Joe recounted being sent to foster-like homes when his parents didn't feel like taking care of him. Mm. And what's notable about this is most of Joe's comments only involve himself and not his five other siblings. Oh, okay. oh a little self-centered much. He is pretty self-centered. And then Joe's father passed away when he was about six years old from a car accident. However, if you ask Joe about his mom, he would tell you that she died. Okay. Jean Metheny was very surprised to hear the news and was quoted as saying, maybe he just wishes I was. Oh, oh. shit. <laughs> oh. Ah. Jean would go on to contradict many of the things that Joe said during his confessions about his his early life. She indicated that her husband's death was very, very hard on her, and she had to work a lot to support her family and keep all of her kids together. They lived in the Dundalk area, just outside Baltimore. Jean worked as a waitress and a barmaid and a canteen truck driver, which delivered lunches to the Sparrows Point shipyard. And Jean indicated that they had a pretty normal family life, but she did admit that she worked a lot and was not always there for her kids. Did any of Joe's other siblings ever be like... Chime in. Chime in and be like, yeah, mom, or no. Like, it could go either way. It could go either way still. It's also about perspective, too, because even, you know, growing up in a three-sibling household like mine, we still have very different perspectives of what our childhood was like. But there's also right. some pretty pretty big age differences in my family, so our perspectives were different. Um, it's that kind of perpetual, like, if we stand face-to-face and I draw a six, and I tell you it's a six, but you see a nine, neither one of us are wrong, it's just our perspectives are different. Right. So Jean would go on to say that we weren't rich, we always had something to eat and a roof over our heads, and I never went on welfare. And this was a point that she would make again and again, almost if she needed to validate yeah. herself. Hmm. And Jean described Joe as super smart and always polite. She would add that if he felt neglected, it was his own fault. I don't know how that works exactly. But... <laughs> right? I'm not... Getting the warm fuzzies coming off Jean. I feel like there's a lot that she's being, like, more defensive about. She was in a tough situation given the circumstances of her husband's passing. I'm not going to give her a pass necessarily, but, I mean, I get that she had a lot going on. Did she ever even talk about her husband, like, before he died? Was he an alcoholic mm-hmm. who was abusive, or did she not see that? No, she didn't really say that. I'm I mean, and if you think about it back in that day, alcoholism uh, yeah. was fairly common just in the day to day. But 
she said, you know, he was a hardworking man. He provided for their family. So, I mean, I didn't get the feeling that, you know, he was a bad dude necessarily. But from Joe's perspective, he was. Okay. And then in 1973, Joe turned 18 and he joined the army and was sent to Germany. Joe would tell his attorney that during his time in Vietnam, he became addicted to heroin and cocaine. Oh, fun. Did he go to Vietnam? (laughs) It seems (laughs) unlikely because on March 29th of 1973, the last U.S. military unit left Vietnam, and his 18th birthday was just 27 days prior to that. So, so unless he lied. Yes. Okay. I'm not saying that it couldn't have happened. I'm just saying that it's probably unlikely that he became addicted to cocaine and heroin in Vietnam. Yeah, it could have happened in Germany. In Germany, <laughs> yeah. But for some reason, he felt the need to embellish I feel like this is kind of a common theme that like serial killers that were grew up in that time and space wanted to say that they were in Vietnam and that's what made them that way. And most of them never saw combat. They might have been in the army or something, but they never actually saw combat. But they come back mm-hmm. and they change their story as a way to maybe to get sympathy, sympathy or to or to explain to explain whatever yeah whatever they're doing. Yeah. Cat, calm down. I mean, there's not a ton of information about Joe's military service or even, like, his life after the service. Um, His criminal record showed some assaults, some drunken disorderly conducts, the occasional barroom brawl. There wasn't really any red flags as to what was to come. Yeah. And the interesting part is every person that was interviewed would remark about how intelligent, polite, and mannered Joe was. And this is... Okay, guys. It's very interesting. What if I turned out to be a serial killer? What would you t- <laughs> What would you say to the interviewers? Did you see That's that coming? That's a good question. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> Hannah always had a short fuse. You should have seen her in a game of pounds. Ha <laughs> We need to play pounds. A-S-A-P. I was like, don't paint me as all sunshine and rainbows. If I- No. Check her Google search history. It'll tell you so much. <laughs> ah, it was for research. It was, yeah, for research, precisely. There is some mixed information about the following years, but it, it does appear that Joe was addicted to heroin, cocaine, some maybe some other drugs, and that he was a bit of a drinker. I feel like regardless of whether his father was alcohol- uh, abusive or his mother was neglectful, I think he thought he had a bad childhood. And maybe it wasn't that bad of a childhood, but he felt like it was. And so he carried that with him into adulthood. Yeah, it's like he had some bitterness about it or something. He's coming off a little entitled, what I call my students sometimes, but... Yeah, anyway. Many articles claim that Joe was homeless and living in tent encampments, but other articles say that he was gamefully employed most of the time as either a truck driver or a forklift driver. And at some point, he even opened this little roadside barbecue stand. The weird thing about these cases is that there's not any information about them until after Joe's arrest. It's likely that he would have gotten away with some of these crimes had it not been for a series of events. But 
we're going to take a brief step back into 1994 in Baltimore, Maryland, as this seems to kind of be the precipice for what's to come. Joe would have confessed to, he he talked a lot, honestly. I think he just really liked to hear himself talk, but... He sounds narcissistic. He is, yeah. Joe would confess to crimes dating back to 1976, but there's really no evidentiary proof of some of the confessions that he made. But in 1994, Joe was working as a truck driver. He and his girlfriend and their six-year-old son lived in South Baltimore. And as a truck driver, it was very common for Joe to be gone for a number of days on the road. On one particular day, and this is around August 5th of 1995, Joe, or 1994, sorry, Joe returned home to find that his girlfriend had left him and taken their son. Like, all the shit was gone. Probably because he was a narcissist. Probably. A funny side note, we had a friend growing up that dated this girl, and they broke up, and we went to visit him after their breakup. They had lived together. We went to visit him after his breakup to take him some stuff, because that girl cleaned him out. There was nothing. Not even the holder for the toilet paper Wow! in their house. Wow. She was mad. Everything. All the dishes, all the pots, all the pans, all the forks, all the spoons, all the everything was gone. All the cleaning stuff, like all the soap, all the toothpaste, everything was gone. It's almost more work for you, though, because you have to move it all. To be that spiteful. (laughs) Yeah. I love spite. I I understand spite, but like (laughs) I hate moving, so there's a, I'm torn here. Yeah, there has to be a balance there, right? So Joe said, quote, I found out about six months later, six months later that she had moved on to the other side of town with some asshole that was out selling her ass for drugs. (gasps) They got busted and they took my son away for child neglect and abuse and sent him to foster care, Mm. end quote. Sure. So naturally- Joe's pissed, and he went to go find them, and that's kind of where this all started. Okay. So just a quick note is Joe's girlfriend also had some issues with drugs and alcohol, so the areas in which Joe went looking for her, it's not in a good part of town, kind of the, you know, the more... Baltimore, there is, like, very distinct changes. More, yeah, more areas. Catchy. Yeah. So... Joe did not find his girlfriend or their son. That's probably which is fine. A good thing. Yeah. What he did find was two unsuspecting victims in a homeless encampment under Baltimore's Hanover Street Bridge. Oh no. Joe was charged with the murders, but in 1996, a jury would determine that there was insufficient evidence to convict him and he was acquitted. He did spend about a year and a half in jail while the trial was ongoing. After all of this stuff that's to come, Joe would later confess to these murders that he was acquitted of. The victims were Randall Brewer and Randy Piker, and they were chopped to death with an axe. God, he went old school. And mm-hmm. a side note, the axe was then stolen by Larry Amos, a homeless man in the same encampment, and used to kill Everett Dowell after a dispute. This axe needs to just be destroyed. It seemed too much. Axe Axe the axe. The axe was just like, I just wanted to cut trees, man. 
And then Amos was actually arrested and charged with first-degree murder of Everett Dowell, and he did make a deal and pled guilty to manslaughter. It was more of a dispute over territory within the homeless encampment. Mm-hmm. But anyways, back on track. So the timeline in this case is super wonky because most of the details did not come to light until after Joe was arrested and started talking and talking ah. and talking. Yeah. Some people just talking. need to feel that level of special where they've got everything going You guys, for them. we do have a podcast. <laughs> Some people... <laughs> Some people. Oh, my God. Insufferable. Oh, man. I love it. So for a little bit of a background, Joe was working as a forklift driver for Joe Stein and Sons Pallet Company, which was located at 3200 James Street in Baltimore. He was living in a one-room trailer located near the south fence on the Pallet Company's property. The company was on roughly four acres, and it was adjacent to a wooded area. It had a locked gated entrance and an eight-foot-tall chain-link fence with a barbed wire top. It was located in an industrial area, so there wasn't much traffic or pedestrians after, like, your standard 9 to 5. And then the closest residential area was about two blocks away from this industrial area. Did they know he was living there? Yeah. Okay. And they also knew that he had just been acquitted of murder. Okay. Well, someone has to drive the forklift. And that company had some other stuff going on, which is, like, another rabbit hole you can go down. But I opted not to go down that for this episode. It was more like financial crimes. But anyways, I've described this company's kind of property. And it to me, oh. it sounded like the start of like a horror movie almost. Yeah, if you get stuck inside, yeah. you can't get out. Ugh. On December 15th of 1996, the Baltimore Police Department and agents of the FBI arrested Joe in relation to the murder of Kimberly Spicer. William Ashbrook, which was another employee of the Pallet Company, had contacted the police earlier in the day with a rather interesting story. According to Ashbrook, Joe showed him a decomposing body and asked him for some help to bury it. Um, Joe smart moves buddy i mean was the guy he i forgot the guy's name was this guy also a convict who might have murdered someone and might have some advice it didn't say what his criminal background was or was not but he did call the police instead of helping joe so there's that good guy for this he's like yeah let me go get my shovel and uh while i'm gone i'm just gonna make a phone call uh you know what i gotta poop so (laughs) i gotta poop uh yeah (laughs) so kimberly lynn spicer and some reports say she was 23 some reports say she was 26 so she was in her early 20s Kimberly's mother, Kathy Price, testified that she had an argument with Kimberly on November 11th of 1996. Kimberly had left the house. She was angry. And that was the last time Kathy had seen her daughter. Another witness, Barbara McWilliams, testified that she had been sitting with a friend at Uncle Walt's Bar, which was on the 2300 block of Washington Boulevard in Baltimore. And this young auburn hair woman approached her and was kind of asking her if, like, 
like she could get a ride or go home with her. It was kind of kind of weird. And that sounds super fucking weird. Yeah, but not knowing this young woman, Mick Williams declined. I'm with her, Mick Williams. Yeah, like, sorry, no. Who are you? No. Right, but sometimes it pays to be kind and maybe ask a couple questions. Like, are you in trouble? Do you need help? I think that might have... I just gone a long way in this situation. Anybody. I mean, but like it depends on too, like whether or not you feel safe. Like if you feel sure. safe doing that, yes. Mm-hmm. If you feel sketched out, like something's up, listen to the gut feeling and be like, eh, find oh, yeah. help elsewhere. Don't, yeah, don't linger unnecessarily, yeah. I feel like. For sure. So McWilliams finished up her beer, her conversation with her friend, and she left the bar. And out in the parking lot, she saw a man that she knew, a regular at the bar. It was Joe. Oh, Oh, hi, Joe. McWilliams then gave Joe and the young auburn-haired woman a ride and dropped them off at Joe Stein and Sons Palette Company. That young woman was later identified as Kimberly Spicer. Oh, so she did give them a ride. She did. But because Joe was there and she kind of knew Joe. And she knew and she knew Joe. Yep. I think she thought she knew Joe. <sighs> yeah. Do you ever really know someone? Yeah. No. No, you don't. I mean that's that was the joke. Yeah. And again, anyone who testified or commented about Joe, he was very polite, he was funny, he was charming. He seemed like a regular guy. It's terrifying. Yeah. So once inside Joe's trailer on the property of that pallet company, Joe stabbed and strangled Kimberly and then dismembered her body. Oh, great. Totally normal, polite move. With what, though? It didn't say. It's not the axe? I don't think so, because it got stolen. The axe is gone. Oh, yeah. Someone else the axe is, gone. is busy with the axe. Yeah. And then he hid her body under some wooden pallets. right by the trailer but again this is on the company property so there are people milling about this property during normal business hours and nobody fucking noticed jeez until joe asked ashbrook hey buddy can i get a help some help burying this dead girl's body over here what a weird lunch ask (laughs) i know right Help, okay, it wasn't help like, hey man, can I borrow a shovel? Yeah, what for? Well, I've got some body parts. It's more like, hey, do you want to help me dig like a massive trench to put this person into? Yeah, but then he showed Ashbrook the body. I can't believe he showed him the body. body. I got this one, friend. Yeah. I can't believe he showed him the body. What the fuck? I know. It's just so crazy. On December 15th, when Joe was arrested, the police, obviously, they, you know, go to the pallet company and they locate Kimberly's body under the trailer since, you know, Ashbrook didn't help him bury it. It was still where he said it was. Yeah. From all accounts in the investigation surrounding Joe, Kimberly Spicer's body was what kind of fast-tracked Joe's arrest. But what it doesn't say or what I couldn't find is how the timelines are intersected between this investigation and the incident that occurred just one week prior to it. Ooh. Mind you, Kimberly's body had been at the pallet company for a few months. Jesus fucking Christ. Just under some pallets? I know. No one noticed. Honestly, he didn't need to ask Westbrook how to dispose of this body. It was doing fine. Yeah, nobody fucking (laughs) noticed. I don't know. Maybe the smell was starting to bother him. I don't know. Months later? Months. Yeah. But I feel like it's cold. The smell definitely set in. 
Well, that's true. Oh, and this is in the wintertime. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. Uh, maybe the spring thaw was coming and he thought he had to move her. Yeah. Could be. So one week, literally one week before his arrest, we're going to talk about Rita Kemper. And Rita Kemper, she's my hero. Okay. Rita Kemper met Joe in the fall of 1996, and they hung out together, often consuming cocaine or other drugs. Rita told the courts that she and Joe were just friends. They had no sexual relationship. They just were kind of drug buddies, if you will. Still questionable life choices, Rita, but sure. (laughs) Yeah. She would go to Joe's trailer and hang out. They would do drugs. They would, you know, play cards or whatever. And then she would go about her business. So Rita testified that one week prior, so on December 8th of 1996, that she had gone over to Joe's trailer to have some fun or party, if you will. And that when she got there, Joe struck her twice and then told her to take her pants off. Joe, what the fuck? She was able to escape and run out of the trailer, but Joe caught <gasps> up to her. No. And then he, like, choked her and dragged her back into the trailer. And he told her, quote, I'm going to kill you and bury you in the woods with the other girls, end quote. Ooh. Plural. Plural. Joe then removed Rita's pants and tried to rape her, but Rita struggled and fought him, and she was able to escape escape again and she fled for her life. She ran through the pallet company yard and she scaled with no fucking pants, scaled the eight foot fucking fence Adrenaline. with the barbed with wire razor top. Wire. Mm-hmm. Oh no. Yeah. And got oh the fuck away. So she's my hero. I'll say adrenaline. And also, are pallets that important that we need razor wire? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's what the pallets are. I don't know. I mean, it just seems like they're kind of, you know, crappy wood that's put together. But I, I don't know. I don't know the worth of pallets. Yes. But okay. Good on you, Gina. Not, wait, Rita. Sorry. Rita. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Angela. Whatever your name is. <laughs> sorry. It wasn't quite clear if Rita, like, went to the police straight away or then if she... She had to come down off her high first. Right. Or if she came forward after his arrest because she was, like, scared of him or something. But mind you, a one week, literally one week to the day later is when Joe was arrested because of the Kimberly Spicer thing. And again, she probably had to walk right past Kimberly's body. Right. Who'd been dead for a while now. So he was ready to kill again. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I read a quote early on in my research of this case. And then when I went to find it again to figure out who said it, I could not find the article that it was in. Oh, no. Hate that. You're like, where the fuck is that? What page was it? And every, like all the links are purple. So you're like, I can't tell. I don't know. It's <laughs> one of them. <laughs> I do think it was a responding police officer. But the quote was, He couldn't run fast enough to catch her. Well, he was a big boy. He was 405 pounds. So he was a big boy. And if she scaled that fence, there's no fucking way. He's not climbing that Mm -hmm. fence. Nope. The fence will buckle. So does he get locked in there every night? He's got the key. Okay. Basically, when he got out of jail, he went back to the pallet company was like, hey, can I have my job back? I just got acquitted of murder and I need a place to live. And the owner was like, sure, not a problem, Joe. You're so polite and (laughs) friendly. You go ahead and stay in the trailer out back. Here's the key to the gate. Okay. So, once police took Joe into custody, he started confessing. It was almost if he was pretty excited to start telling people about his crimes. He's such a narcissist. Right? And these are crimes that the police had not connected to him 
at all. So if he wouldn't have fucking said anything, they would have never fucking known. <laughs> Just lock yourself away. That's oh. fine, Joe. Well, I mean, it's better this way. This is honestly. good. It helps people get some closure. Closure for people, yeah. So we're going to talk about Catherine or Kathy Ann Magaziner. And I don't know if it's right. It's magazine er. Magaziner? <laughs> okay. Magaziner. Never heard of that name, but all right. Fascinating. So at approximately 3.05 p.m. on December 15th, 1996, when Joe, after Joe was arrested, Joe waived his Miranda rights and he told, invest, right? He told investigators that in 1994, so two years previous, that he had killed another woman who was later identified through dental records as Catherine Magaziner. Joe told police that he had persuaded Catherine to accompany him to his trailer on July 3rd of 1994 at the pallet company. Once there, Joe (laughs) strangled her and then buried her body in a shallow grave near the trailer. On the company's property? Yes. Jesus. Joe stated that six months later, he went back to the shallow grave and removed her skull. No. Mm -hmm. During his confession, Joe admitted to cleaning the skull and then having sex with it. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? How? No. The socket. Or I? No. Oh. Yeah. Okay, that's probably the only one that can't. That's so fucked. That's so like nothing though. Like what do you get from that? I don't know. I have no idea. I'm glad you don't, actually. I'm glad none of us understand why you'd want to fuck a skull. That would be a problem. But nope. (laughs) Okay. And then he put it into a box and threw it into the trash. And I think police were able to locate it, like, in Pittsburgh at a dump, which I don't know how they fucking did it. Wow, that's bonkers. They did it. So for sentencing... In 1997, Joe was convicted of kidnapping and the attempted sexual assault of Rita Kemper. He received 50 years in prison. He was acquitted on the charge of attempted murder, though. In 1998, he was convicted of the murder of Kimberly Spicer and he was sentenced to death. Joe said, quote, the words... I'm sorry, will never come out, for they would be a lie. I am more than willing to give up my life for what I have done, to have God judge me and send me to hell for eternity, end quote. Dude! He just ha- does not he, care. Mm-mm. Oh, God, he doesn't care at all. You can't, well, you can't do anything with a person like that. Mm-mm. There's no, yeah, there's no rational thought anywhere in there. Joe also made comments about how much he enjoyed it and had no real excuse for doing it other than he just liked to. Great. (laughs) In August of 1998, Joe pleaded guilty to robbing and murdering Catherine Magaziner, and he was also sentenced to death. So he's dead, right? I'm assuming no. He is. Oh. But not from the death penalty. Heart disease? Well, that was my guess. The diabetes? <laughs> yeah. That was also my secondary guess. Okay. We'll get to that. Aneurysm. Mm, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. It didn't say, but no. we'll, we'll get there. Complications. <coughs> cough, cough. <laughs> I know. In 2000, Joe's attorney filed an appeal to overturn the death sentence in Catherine Magaziner's case. And they argued that the only reason the death penalty was considered is because the death occurred during the commission of a felony. So the theft of her purse and her clothes, which this is just so bizarre to me. So they argued that robbery was not the actual intention, right? Her murder was. 
Yeah. I agree. So the death penalty should be removed from consideration. And this what? appeal was successful. Is mm. just robbery a federal crime? No, it's when you commit a murder during the course of a felony. But what was the felony? The robbery. But I'm like, why isn't murder a felony? Ah. It was successful, and it subsequently overturned the death penalty in Kimberly Spicer's case. So he did get life in prison without parole. I'm so confused, but okay. And I'm I'm not a law nope. person. I'm not proficient in any of that. But, I, you know, my thought was uh, rape, torture, murder, and the fucking abuse of a corpse should be the enough death- for the fucking death yeah, penalty. The death yeah, the penalty wasn't available for that part. Right? And, come on, Marilyn, you didn't abolish the death penalty until 2013. So you had time. You had time to kill this dude. I'm just saying. There was probably a decent backlog. Yeah, there might have been. Yeah, that's true. It is true. So other murders is a title of my next great paragraph. Other murders. So Joe claimed to have killed upwards of 10 people, but these could not necessarily be confirmed. And again, this is this like grandstanding. Yeah. I'm going to tell you about all this stuff. Is it true? I mean, we don't know in some of these cases. So Tony Lynn Ingracia, who was 28, Joe was charged in her death. She had been found stabbed and strangled to death in 1994 near Interstate 95, just a short distance from that pallet company. God damn, this pallet company needs to close down. It's not. It's still open. I checked. (laughs) I know. (sighs) I did. I was like, is this place still open? It is. It is still open. So the charges were dropped in Tony's case due to insufficient evidence. And then on the night that, you know, so Joe, he confessed to the murders of Randall Brewer and Randy Piker in that homeless encampment. He chopped them up with an axe. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he also claimed that he killed three additional people that night because he was so pissed about his ex-girlfriend taking his son. So he confessed to murdering two hookers and a fisherman that just happened to be near the bridge that night. He then claimed that he weighted down the bodies and then threw them into the river. So police divers actually were sent to search but they didn't find anything. So they couldn't charge him in any of those. And because he had been acquitted oh, yeah. of the murders, there's the double jeopardy, right? They couldn't mm-hmm. then charge him for the murders of no. Randall Brewer and Randy Piker. And then at the beginning, I mentioned Hannah's favorite topic, <laughs> cannibals. The cannibals. Oh, we're here. So you might be asking, where's the meat? Mm. Oh, no. Arby's. Not thawing underneath the trailer, hopefully. I've highlighted some parts of Joe's confession. It was fairly long. I'm not going to give you the whole shebang, but I'm going to give you the parts that are the most fucking disturbing. So you're welcome. Ah, thanks. Quote, my murder rampage started out as revenge, but ended up as a passion for the taste of blood and the overwhelming sense of power one gets from taking the life of another. End quote. Such a fucking narcissist Ugh. Mm-hmm. quote i lured two more crack whores to my trailer i killed them i butchered their bodies i cut the meat up and i put it into tupperware bowls and then i put it in the freezer end quote so did he actually eat it some would say yes we have to take him at his word right eh. Eh. quote 
over the next couple of weeks and on the weekends, I opened up a little open pit stand and I had roast beef sandwiches and pork sandwiches and why not? They were really good. The human body tastes very similar to pork and if you mix them together, no one can tell the difference. End quote. Nobody. Not even me in my superb taste buds. But boy, boy, it's Mm -hmm. not a chili cook-off. Nope. What? Ew. Also, quote, everything was going pretty good until I ran out of my special meat. So I lured another bitch up to my trailer, end quote. But he was mixing it with meat from like pigs and cows. Yeah. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, quote, well, that's my story. Horrible but true. So the next time you're riding down the road and you happen to see an open pit stand that you've never seen before, make sure you think about my story before you take a bite of that sandwich. Sometimes you never know what you may be eating. Ha ha. End quote. Gotta have to fucking room barbecue for me, do you? I still love barbecue. I do too. I do too. (laughs) I'm gonna go ahead and trust that what they sell at Costco and other places is the meat that they say. I would probably not buy at the side of the road from some random person. Yeah. Yeah. I've got like four things in my freezer right now that I'm going to go put on the smoker for the next couple weeks. Like I got a brisket, I've got a tri-tip, I've got some good stuff. So it's not going to deter me from some good smoked meat. But yeah, I might not pull off on the road to a little stand with a 405 pound dude that looks like he looks. The picture that I chose for this one, when you guys take a look at it, you would not stop at this stand either. Ah, yes. He has a keep driving type of face. Definitely. So Joe the Cannibal Metheny is one of the few serial killers that has served up their victims to unknowing victims, or so at least he claims. And there is not anything else about this other than what was presented in his confessions. So it remains to be proven. Bad pun. Oh, remains. Damn. (laughs) Ah. I know. Don't want to miss your words ah. there. However, honestly, it almost sounds like this could have just been a story to further torment the citizens of Baltimore. Yeah, I don't know if I... Ah. And I would like to point out that Pisces are known for their creative and imaginative Oh, no. <laughs> Hi, yes. And a uh, body disposal? Mm-hmm. The accidental cannibalism in this story reads almost like an urban legend. Oh, yeah. It does. If you are looking for a deep, deep rabbit hole, Google accidental cannibalism. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. (laughs) And you're welcome. It is a fucking deep hole, and it's very interesting. All right. And so Joe, he did die. He died. Joe died. Bye, Joe. In prison, while serving his life term, guards found him unresponsive in his cell on August 5th of 2017 at the Western Correctional Institute of Maryland. He was 64 years old. No cause of death was listed, but my guess was either heart disease or diabetes. I don't think he got skinnier in prison. Most Mm. most people do not. (laughs) He did not. So, good news. He dead. Goodbye. Good riddance. Fucking hell. So, astrology, like I said, we're entering Pisces season. 
Joe was a Pisces. He was born on March 2nd, 1955, Baltimore, Maryland. And so I was able to get a natal chart for him, just not his birth time. So Joe is a Pisces sun, a Gemini moon, hmm. and a Capricorn Venus. <laughs> oh, God. Triple threat, bruh. Right? Oh, no. And for... Those listeners that might just be turning in, our sweet Sarah is a Pisces, our awesome Hannah is a Capricorn, and your crazy me is a Gemini. (laughs) Your crazy me. (laughs) Love that. Oh, Jesus Christ. So Joe is a very good example of an unevolved Pisces. So he's manipulative, he's self-absorbed, and he's in need of external validation. And then the combination of a Pisces sun and a Gemini moon generally produces dual personalities. He definitely had one. Mm -hmm. And that's what Geminis are known for. And again, that stems back to the like, you talk to the like regular people that he would encounter on an average day. And he was polite. He was courteous. He was charming. He was funny. And then you've got this dark side that comes out when he's got you alone at the palette company. Yeah. Yikes. And then I read this thing and I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So there are two fish in Pisces that are pulling in the opposite directions, right? And then Gemini twins face the opposite direction. So this is kind of how that Gemini moon aids in the split of the personalities. Mm -hmm. To be honest, I only intended to look at his sun and his moon, but I was like, I need to go back and see if there's any Capricorn in his chart. (laughs) (laughs) And so his Capricorn is in Venus and the downside of Venus and Capricorn would be the need for excess and then not being satisfied. So in Joe's case, yeah, I would agree. And I'm just going to leave that uh, as it is. He definitely had dual personalities. He had to have enough charm to get a woman to a trailer in a pallet company lot. With an eight foot fucking fence an and fucking barbed fence. wire, like that's a that's a big ask. To, it's almost like I'd rather go to your parents' to prison. house than go to a pallet <laughs> company trailer with a eight foot fence around. Like, come on. So he's like mm-hmm. charming enough so he can turn it on. Yeah, but he's also Pisces enough. He wants to talk about everything. Hi. Yes, we overshare. Mm. This was an overshare. Let me say. Yeah. I mean, I do too. I mean, even as, you know, as a Gemini, I overshare. And it's not, I think for me, I just like to engage with people. And so I think like the more that you know about me, the more that maybe we can connect, right? Because I am enchanted by pretty much everyone I meet. And I'm happy to sit down, have a beer and tell you whatever, right? (laughs) And I've got some pretty fucking good stories too. But yeah, in Joe's case, I don't think anyone wants to hear his fucking stories. (laughs) <laughs> Stay and away. like, yeah. you like to meet people and learn about them. Joe likes to talk at people so they learn about him. Yeah, there's a difference there too. I just want to connect with people. And sometimes, you know, those odd, ridiculous stories are what connects you to somebody else. Like fucking teeth. Ha! <laughs> Yay, teeth! <laughs> Yay, teeth. <laughs> Ooh, teeth. <sighs> For listeners who don't know, again, on Plans Are Optional, Hannah talked about baby teeth, and I have a similar story for baby teeth, and that's what I was like, I just really love Hannah <laughs> and her baby teeth story. <laughs> and we started a <laughs> podcast together, and the rest mm-hmm. is history. It is. I mean, we're 45 episodes I in. Know, I know, we're 45 episodes in. Guys. We're doing good. Bonkers. 
Killing it. I do have a few astrological tidbits. I don't know, Sarah, if you had any additional. I did not. I've been having a heck of a week. Sorry. We get it. We're all busy. Well, you're busier than me, and I feel bad. No, no, no. But you guys guys are literally working to become doctors. So whatever. I'm just me. Not real doctors. (laughs) Dumb ass doctors. But no, doctors. It's still doctors. It's fine. It's fine. Doctor, doctor. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm, I'm proud looking of you guys. Forward, to, forward to being less depressed. Well, there's that. Yeah, yeah that'll be oh nice. Oh my God. So I do have a few tidbits. So like I said earlier, this episode airs on Monday, February 21st. And on Wednesday, February 23rd, Mars in Capricorn will be sextile with Neptune in Pisces. And again, that's that 60 degree aspect. And this, folks is a sexy day. Ooh. That's what we record. How am I supposed to be sexy? <laughs> I don't know who's up that week. <laughs> I think it's Sarah. All right. Be sexy. So brown chicken, brown cow. <laughs> this sensual aspect creates pleasure in many ways. For me, it's just going to be like the pleasure of your company and having a cocktail. That's Pleasurable fine. event. I love it. And then on Thursday, February 24th, Venus and Capricorn will be sextile with Neptune and Pisces. And again, that's that 60 degree aspect. And this is when creative opportunities will allow you to manifest those dreamy dreams into reality. Dreamy dreams. Mm-hmm. However, the same day, Mercury and Aquarius will be square with Uranus and Taurus. And so this aspect creates this kind of paranoid, suspicious energy that creates a lot of overthinking, even in your basic decisions. Fuck, I already do that I know, on a regular day. Right? And so you may need to disengage your brain and just kind of go with your gut. Disengage. Oh, yeah. Turn off this motherfucker. (laughs) Good night. But it's also a great day to, like, be creative. So if you just stay the fuck at home and you don't really have, like, big decisions to make, then you can just stay at home and be creative, right? Get some script writing done. Oh, good idea. Good idea. Drawings done. Not that Hannah and I draw, but Sarah does. If you crochet or knit or... Embroider. Embroider or... Hannah embroiders craft in some sort, then that would be a good day to just stay home and kind of release your inner creativity. All right. And that's what I got. <sighs> Otter farted. Um, <gasps> not not audibly, <sighs> but I can smell it right now. Stinky boy. He's just sleeping in my lap and like definitely oh, let sleeping loose. in your lap. That's so sweet. <laughs> but yes, my cats have really, um, they don't want to be on Zoom this week. They didn't come to my classes. They didn't come tonight. Playing hooky from classes. Cats. They're just not feeling it. They had a zero today. No participation, cats. I can't give you points for that. Like, I'm asking almost nothing of you besides to come. So, uh. Yeah. Well, like I said before, I have issued the first TCT beer money challenge. We would love to hear from you to let me know if I'm fucking crazy or if we actually did talk about this dude before. I still don't know. Like, even at the end of this... I know we didn't do a case about him, but 
I'm Medicine pretty sure humane. like he was referenced <gasps> because again he's serving these open meat sandwiches, which I think is where that Jamie Kennedy comment came in because in that episode of Criminal Minds he feeds that chili. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. On like during the search for the yes, yeah. yeah. She, during the search the, for she's the in all victim. Of us. Yeah, yeah, she's in all of us, which is fucking creepy. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe I fucking dreamt it. Maybe I'm just having deja vu. We are in episode 45. I'm old as fuck and I don't have the best memory. And we also drink when we do this. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> there's lots of compounding issues. Yes, there is. But listeners, I have issued our challenge. If you would like to win some beer money, then hit us up on our email at truecrimetrying at gmail.com. If you just want to connect with us in other ways, please check us out on Twitter at True Trying, on Instagram at True Crime Trying, on Facebook at TCT Podcast, and welcome to all of our new members. And Yee! then check out our website at www.truecrimetrying.com. In- any cannibal quotes? I looked up Maryland quotes that I got nothing, but maybe there's cannibal quotes. I've got Pisces quotes. Noise. So, I've got one unknown quote. Ooh, that's pretty. It's on a palette. Oh, I my love God. it. And there's an axe. And a spoon and a syringe. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. And those Lazy Susans are perfect. Lazy Susans? Black-eyed Susan. Black-eyed Lazy Susan's Susan's that little spinny thing. food turntable. <laughs> it's like a food DJ. We seriously drink on this podcast, friends. So, my quotes are as follows. Number one was from an unknown source, and it says, quote, you think karma's a bitch? Try pissing off a Pisces, <laughs> quote. Oh, yes. And then my second quote is from Nirvana's heart-shaped box. So Ooh. Kurt Cobain, oh, right? Yeah. And because I'm very new to astrology, I think Han and Sarah are better at understanding it, but I've been picking it up over the last 45 episodes. And so I kind of finally feel like I know what this means. Yeah. One of the lyrics to the song is, quote, she eyes me like a Pisces when I am weak, end quote. And I kind of get that. <laughs> yeah. I got a cannibal quote, but I don't really get it. Okay, well, let's hear it. Herman Melville said it. Herman Melville? Like a real author. Oh, what did he write? Uh, Moby Dick? Well, there you fucking go. That's a real fucking novel. That's real. I haven't read it, but... uh, That's real, real. Real, real. He said, better sleep with a sober cannibal than a drunken Christian. Yep. I don't get it exactly, (laughs) but he said it, and cannibals are in there. The other quote is more, more. I think this must have been a, a comedian, Maury Amsterdam. Okay. Who said, a cannibal is a person who walks into a restaurant and orders a waiter. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I understand that one a bit more, but like, you know, Herman Melville's like literature. So I had to include that as well. I like that one better. Melville's? I still don't really understand it. What is a drunken Christian? Sarah, you seem to understand. What does it mean? I was thinking it meant more along the lines of, like, what can you trust? Oh. You can expect a cannibal when they're sober to be cannibalistic and conniving. But, like... Armin. Ha! Yeah. He was very forthcoming with what he was expecting. Yeah, he was honest about it. That's true. 
I just had a conversation with my boss today about a previous coworker that was this really sweet Christian lady that portrayed this like very sweet Christian self and baked pies and was so sweet. But she was the most conniving fucking bitch I have ever encountered in my life. It was bad. Yep. Yep. Super bad. I think that was kind of along the lines of where it was going, but okay, that was my interpretation anyway. It makes sense based on based on firsthand experiences. And let me say this too: this quote actually comes from Moby Dick. I haven't read it. I probably won't. Kirk's read some of it. I think he put it down because he was like, "I like whales, but not this much." It's a lot of whales. No, he really likes whales. I like whales too, but yeah, I don't think I like whales enough. I have a hard enough time reading the true crime trine books that I need to be reading to write my script. Yeah, stay away from Moby Dick. <laughs> I'm not going to tackle that fucking beast. Because also written, like, I'm looking at it right now where the quote is. It's also written in, like, phonetically how people speak, which is always a hard fucking one for me to read. Oh, yeah. Phonetically? Yeah. Instead of it being, like, correctly spelled all the time. Oh. Hooey W. You know, speaky, damn me, I kill you. Like, it's, that is how, that's the first line of this. Yikes. Okay. That was a cannibal speaking, actually. <laughs> Apparently okay. they beat cannibals. I didn't know there was a cannibal Apparently in Moby Dick. Apparently they beat cannibals in Moby Dick. Wow. <laughs> this sounds a lot more interesting than I thought it did. Okay. It was only- Kirk never mentioned the cannibals to me. It's chapter three. I'm not sure how long the chapters Sweet. are. All right. Anywho. That's what I've got. Yay! For this week, (laughs) we love you listeners, and good night. And good luck. (laughs) Good luck. And bye! Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.